It's the Class Teaching Podcast with James Crane. Welcome to the Class Teaching Podcast, the Durrington Research School podcast. It aims to explore educational research and provide insights into how being an evidence-informed practitioner can support teaching and learning. Educational research does not provide a silver bullet, but coupled with teacher expertise, it can provide us with tried and tested approaches that the evidence suggests may lead to promising outcomes. In each episode, we will draw upon the experience of a teacher with particular expertise in the area we are looking at. Darrington High School is a large coastal secondary comprehensive school based in West Sussex and has been designated a research school by the Education Endowment Foundation. You can follow us on Twitter at Durring Research. The purpose of this podcast is to help busy teachers like you connect with the latest thinking around ideas in teaching. In an accessible and easy format, we realise there is a wealth of blogs being published every week. The Class Teaching Podcast will start with me reading a blog and then spending some time with the author unpicking their thinking. This way you can listen on the drive to work or while walking the dog, rather than having to find the time to sit down in front of your screen during a busy day. React to Misconceptions by Deb Fries. Whilst planning for the next module of my course on the EEF guidelines for Key Stage 2 and 3 Mathematics, I came across Simon Cox's latest blog on misconceptions in maths. He uses the React planning framework, which I had not come across before, and it seems to me that this is a useful model to be used in many different subjects across the curriculum, not only in maths. The first two letters are about understanding the issues before beginning to plan a topic. R is for research. Do some research into common misconceptions about the topic you are about to teach. Experienced teachers may have come across the same misunderstandings many times before. Newer teachers and non-specialists will need more support. What concepts are prerequisites for the topic you are about to teach and how will you check that these are already embedded? Find out what misconceptions students may already have and also which may arise during your teaching. Investigate trustworthy sources of literature about misconceptions in your subject. STEM Learning has a collection of resources for science and the Geographical Association has compiled a list of common misconceptions in geography. Misconceptions in maths are discussed in great detail on the NCETM website. E is for explore. Explore why these misconceptions exist. This will help you to understand their basis. Our ultimate goal will be to stop misconceptions arising in the first place if possible. Many misconceptions may arise due to misunderstandings about the meanings of words and understanding subject-specific vocabulary is very important. It is is also as vital to be precise about the way we phrase things, particularly in maths. I've lost count of the number of times I've heard students, and often adults too, saying that to multiply by 10, you add a zero. Of course, adding zero to any number will have no effect on its value, but this is not what they mean. Whilst many people manage to correctly multiply by 10, despite this inconsistency, Only just before Easter, one of my year sevens told me that 8.06 multiplied by 10 was 8.060. Polysimous words sound and are spelled the same, but have different but related meanings. There are many of them in maths and in science in particular, which give rise to some great teacher jokes. However, the serious side is that the curse of knowledge can mean that as teachers, we assume the second meaning is obvious 
and overlook the fact that our students may not understand the context-specific meaning of the vocabulary that we use. Alex Quigley has recently written about language in maths in a very useful blog, and Fran Haynes discusses vocabulary teaching across different departments in another. The final three letters are about planning the learning. A is for address. Make sure that you address the misconceptions head on. Consider where in the learning it would be best to explore them with your students. You will certainly want to check for prerequisite knowledge at the start of a topic, but you will need to consider how to start introducing new information. Asking students what you know already can bring out previous misconceptions about a topic. There is a danger that the students then get hung up on these, and this is, this is what they remember. Sometimes it could be better to teach the new subject matter correctly first. For example, I have learned not to ask Year 7 students what they already know about calculating with negative numbers, as they invariably respond with, two negatives make a positive, and then it is very difficult to dispel this unhelpful phrase once they've all been reminded of it. A great starting point would be to discuss these at a department meeting or shared planning session. The Diagnostic Questions website has a planner lesson feature where you can search for data on the most common wrong answers. And whilst there are now over 50,000 maths questions on the site, there are also more than 30,000 for other subjects. Because the questions are all written with common misconceptions in mind and contain distractors and plausible wrong answers, this is a very useful source of data. C is for consider. Consider possible issues that could arise in the future. Whilst tricks or shortcuts might help students to remember things in the short term, they may actually give rise to further misconceptions later on. Teaching for deep understanding should mean that students can think logically about why a method works, give reasons and evaluate the feasibility of their answer, rather than relying on memory alone. There is a great book, Nick's the Tricks, which is freely available to download and covers many of these for maths. T is for tasks. Choose tasks to specifically draw out and address misconceptions. There is a temptation, especially with students who might be slower to grasp the topic, to give them tasks they can do and, and so only expose them to straightforward questions which specifically practice the concept that has just been taught. There are the same, these are the same students who are likely to be most confused when the topic is approached in a slightly different way. In my example earlier about multiplying by 10, I uncovered this student's misconception through presenting the class with a set of multiple choice questions particularly designed with this in mind. If the questions had just involved standard calculations with whole numbers, I would not have discovered it. True or false questions can also be a really useful and quick way of checking for understanding and that misconceptions have not arisen during your teaching. Incorrect worked examples where students are shown some work, often of a fictional student, and asked, what has this person done wrong and why? Followed up with, how would you explain to them how to answer this correctly? Also make good tasks. Misconceptions and dealing with them really are at the heart of good teaching. For a really concise summary of the React model, please follow the PDF link at the bottom of Deb's blog towards Simon Cox's recent blog for the EEF on the React misconceptions model. So I'm joined now uh, by Deb Fries, who, who wrote the blog that we've just gone through. Uh, Deb is on the Research School Associate here at Donington Research School. Um, so thank you for joining me, Deb. Um, I just thought I'd start with uh, why this, why now? Okay, so um, I think misconceptions are always important, but the fact that we're coming out of this period of remote learning where we may have had to um, try to get across concepts um, in a live lesson or just through 
um, the students trying to research by themselves, they could well have picked up things slightly wrongly or misremembered something or not quite understood the nuances that you would have gone through if you were in class face to face. Okay, perfect. So, I mean, as, as is great teaching always is, it's A, identifying those misconceptions, but the B, then how to address them yeah. um, and preventing them becoming embedded, which was obviously a real difficulty um, with the remote learning period because of the time between lessons or work submitting due to circumstances. Oh, brilliant. So, um, obviously, you've gone through the blog and this React model. Just want to sort of summarise for us really quickly and um, sort of key findings from it or the key parts that you see as real uh, non-negotiables in there? Uh, I think uh, doing some research into misconceptions can be really useful start for anything um, because you can preempt them and you can try and understand where they come from. Obviously, we want um, to stop them happening. And if we can think about where earlier on in teaching they could have occurred, um, this particularly is prevalent in maths, and we can address that at the start, then hopefully they won't get there in the first place. So I think researching and using them in planning um, is really, really important. Obviously, the more experienced you are, the more misconceptions you've seen coming up, and so the more you can address them easily. But for new teachers and for teachers who aren't subject specialists, um, having that sort of initial pre-lesson discussion and going through those things could be really, really important because you're not going to know if you haven't come across it before what the students might always say. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, just one of the points that, I, that sort of made me think quite deeply actually um, was the, the address part of the React model. Um, and I mean, a common thing that, that I've seen a lot <clears throat> in, in teaching is that when you introduce a topic, what teachers tend to do is go straight in with the Right, okay, so this is the topic we're looking at. What do you guys already know about this? And obviously this can then bring about previous misconceptions. So I just wondered if you could sort of explain what your thoughts were on, on this and how to, to combat that really. Yes, I think that's really important. And I think it is very topic dependent. And this is why the research in the first place is, is really vital because um, as I say in the blog, you know, I know there are topics in maths where actually I don't want the first thing that the students say to be a misconception. And we can sometimes, I think, have a, it, there's a danger in saying what you already know because we can get very enthusiastic, lovely students who will put their hand up and give you a long sort of diatribe on something that isn't right. And then that's what sticks in the head of the students rather than what is right. So it's often better to sort of start with the correct thing and then address why things are wrong. Otherwise, you can get yourself in a bit of a loop of always sort of saying, no, no, no. It's this guess what's in my head thing rather than explaining um, what the what the real knowledge should be. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, and obviously, you've mentioned the, the Diagnostic Questions website. Um, do, you, do you think that going through this, especially with math, something that is so sort of methodical and it's step by step is really important that they've got to get each step right that the elements of formative assessment tie into the misconception so when you're teaching it's having the sort of the know-how to realize that actually going through this model that I've explained the misconceptions now come up now I need to address it now or leaving it to the next lesson how do you feel that sort of works there? um I again I think it quite it is quite topic specific but I think at all times you've got to be aware of them and you know, in your teaching and your questioning, sometimes it can be very obvious when something comes up by using a multiple choice question on the board, you can really quickly address it. Sometimes it's a lot more nuanced. Sometimes um, a student could go through a whole topic of work without you really realizing um, why they're not understanding something, you know, and, and questioning does help to bring that about. So I think it's sort of being prepared on all levels. Why? Why are they doing something? And certainly in maths, 
um, a, a topic we're doing at the moment, we're doing perimeter, and actually it's quite straightforward, but I'm making really sure that what I'm concentrating on is their thinking and their working rather than the answer. The answer I'm not really worried about because that just shows they can add up. What I want to know is that they understand the concept of perimeter and that they haven't got the misconception of that muddled up with area, which is the standard one yeah. that they um, that they do. Yeah, so it's that very much a case of, especially in maths, but also a wide range of subjects, mm. that procedural knowledge and understanding that is mm. as important as the decorative stuff and yes. the factual thing at the end. Brilliant. Um, obviously, you spoke about this idea of considering potential issues that could arise in the future. Um, I just sort of, I mean, I read it and I've got the, the place to look in terms of Nick's the tricks. I just wondered if you've got any sort of examples where, where you sort of thought this or, or noticed this and addressed it. Right, well, this was something we were discussing on my EEF maths course the other day. We were discussing in maths the concept of um, squaring is quite okay. Multiplying a number by itself is how we generally describe squaring. But I think there's a problem with that because the definition of it being multiplying means that when we come to say, well, what's the opposite of squaring? What's the inverse? Um, students tend to say, well, you have to divide a number. And of course, they don't have to divide a number. It's not the same. A square root is not dividing a number. And one of the primary school teachers I was working with was talking about introducing the concept of squaring at primary very early on as a number which makes a square when you draw an array. So when you draw um, uh, an array of fours, with uh, you could do four, a four by four square will have 16 dots in it, for example, or the area of a four by four square will have an area of 16. So therefore, square rooting is, well, what would the side be? What would the side length be if you have a square of 16? Well, it will be four. And then because the word multiplying isn't mentioned, then they don't have this misconception that the inverse of it is dividing. Now, that's a hard one to do, and it's going to be really difficult to, to you know, change your language, and it, it's sort of all-encompassing, but it's things like that that we do need to consider because it's something that happens again and again further up the school. You get this, this square root divide confusion, which leads to all sorts of problems. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like, just, just from my sort of reading of the blog, that thinking about the teachers I worked with, um, that the, the research is, is very much evident. You think about this and you look into it and you find out where they are. The explorer is there, the addressing it and the task there, but sometimes this consider, and sometimes you do just look for, this is the misconception, this is the fix. And I think it's having that wider stance to step back and think, actually, if I use that to address this misconception, it's then feeding into a slightly different misconception later down the line. And I think that is, that's definitely something that has made me think about uh, after reading the blog. Mm -hmm. um, so, so thank you for that, really. Um, obviously, you spoke about in, in the blog the idea of using department meetings or, or subject planning sessions. Mm -hmm. Can you just sort of talk us through um, how that would work sort of from the, the ground up, really? Okay, so I think, first of all, you've got to start with the topic that you're um, going to work on. And then it's about exploring, maybe by brainstorming, looking at all the different teachers' experiences um, of what misconceptions can occur. Then there's also resources, there's lots of resources online um, talking about misconceptions in various subjects um, and various topics. And I think, first of all, getting them all out there trying to maybe think about which ones are misconceptions, which ones might be misunderstandings. I think that I did look up, there's not really a clear distinction between the two. 
Um, and there was a nice quote from somebody um, along the lines of um, a misconception can just be an incomplete sort of schema that's that's needs that isn't necessarily wrong but has not been correctly built upon yet. Um, so sometimes these are going to occur, but the more aware we can be of them, the better. So in a department meeting, I would want to brainstorm and discuss where these misconceptions could come up, then maybe decide which ones of them do we want to address head on, which ones of them are the ones that we don't want the kids to, to get hooked up on, first of all, and, and we want to make sure that we don't start um, by coming up with a misconception. Where can we then plan to specifically address them? Um, uh, we were talking just this morning in the office about a, a definition of an isosceles triangle with the base angles being the same. And the confusion is that the base has to be on the bottom. Um, so we want to make sure that in our teaching to avoid that misconception coming up at all, we show lots and lots of triangles in different orientations with the base on the top and make it really clear that the base can be on the top. Um, so it's things like that, being aware of what we need to show. Lots of examples and non-examples can also help um, when we're going through the teaching. And then I think um, once you're sort of further through the planning of that module, going back and thinking about, well, um, what types of answers might you get to questions that would show different types of misconceptions? And um, how can we address them later on? What we might we need to go back and revisit? Yeah, no, brilliant. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and then one of the other things I just wanted to briefly touch on was you've obviously mentioned at the end of the of your blog that the Simon Cox blog for the EEF um, goes into a bit of depth on the React model as well. I just wanted to do this anywhere else um, that you would suggest or pointing people in the direction of when thinking about misconceptions and how best to address them. Um, one of the places I always go to for any research sort of easily summarized is Craig Barton's teacher section where he has a whole load of research papers um, and, and he will have topics, uh, have a section on misconceptions. And um, then there's these things like the Nick's the Tricks book for maths is really good. And the ED or the Diagnostic Questions website for every subject now has loads and loads of questions. And what's really nice about their stuff now on ED is that for every question that they've put up there, they have um, the most common misconception, but also a description of why it is the most common misconception. So it doesn't just say what it is, which answer it is. They actually have a little um, a little description about it. Um, and I know that for maths, Craig Barton's been doing some webinars recently for aimed at parents, but about the most commonly wrongly answered questions in year seven or year six or year eight. So that's another good place to yeah, start. Yeah, I think it's really relevant to think about that why as well, because that can then shape your discussion at those subject meetings or then planning sessions with the teams on how best you're going to cover that if you've got the why. Obviously makes it easier. Lovely. Well, perfect. Thank you for taking the time to, to join me today, Deb, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Class Teaching Podcast by Durrington Research School. It's the Class Teaching Podcast with James Crane.